have your Bibles, you're going to be, be turning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, and eventually we will get there. We're focusing this morning on the resurrection. And one of the questions that always troubles me in my mind, in my heart, whenever I read the story of Jesus and his teachings and his ministry to those disciples and then his death, burial, and when it comes to the resurrection, one of the troubling spots is how did they miss the resurrection? How did those men miss the resurrection? Here are three questions that I want to pose today regarding those men. How can a group of 12 men who left everything, remember they left their boats, they left their tax offices, they left everything, to follow Jesus, that not at least one of them would have been there on the day of the resurrection? Think about that. A second question, a little bit different, is how can one of these 12 who walked with Jesus, who heard Him teach, saw Him do miracles, watched Him reveal the power of God, how could they not be there on that third day to experience the resurrection? Or a third way of putting that is, how could it be that one of these 12 who had been taught not to fear, not to fear, but to Have faith in God. That's what Jesus taught them all the time. Don't don't be afraid. Have faith in God. How can it be that they are not at the garden tomb waiting for the resurrection rather than hiding because they think that they might be next? Those three questions we want to look at in in Scripture today of, of these 12 men, how could they possibly miss the resurrection? But as we survey that and as we look at that, I think there's some some answers that we're going to get to another question that has to do with our day. And, and I, want to, I want to pose those to you. As we survey the Scripture, we may find out the answer to the question of how is it that people can hear the gospel of Christ? And they might hear that gospel over and over and over again, but yet they do not come to a place of responding to the gospel message. How does that happen? Or a second question, What if we discover a little bit about why some believers who attend church all the time, all the days of their life, they attend it, but they never really grasp the power and the significance of their relationship with Jesus Christ. They're there all the time, but yet they don't understand the power and significance of that relationship. Or or possibly we might understand why a person can study passive scripture and and look over the Word of God over and over again and, and see all these things and truths of God's passage and where God says, you shall not fear and you need not fear because I'm a powerful God, yet they struggle to find peace in their hearts and in their lives. In other words, I think there's a parallel between these 12 men who walked with Jesus, taught with Jesus, ministered to by Jesus, and yet they missed the resurrection. I think there's a key there of why... These other things in our day and time in regard to the church and unbelievers and believers, why those things may happen. So I think it's something for us to survey and something for us to look at and to come to understand. So here's the first question that I I would pose to you. And that is, was there ever a time and did Jesus teach actually about his, his death, his burial and his resurrection? In other words, if if Jesus hadn't taught that or they hadn't heard about that, then there would certainly be the understanding of why they would not be at the garden tomb 
on that Sunday morning to wait for the resurrected Christ. So was there a time or in the scriptures does it tell us that Jesus or it was revealed to them that Jesus taught them about the resurrection? Well, the answer to that is yes. And he does it by different means. One of those means that he does it by is he, he reveals it prophetically. He reveals it prophetically. And one of the passages of Scripture that I would like for you to look at whenever you have time is the Gospel of Matthew chapter 21. And you'll see there, it'll identify in your Bible a, a special passage. It'll be probably all in caps or italics or some way. It identifies that it is a quotation from the Old Testament. It's not the first time it's ever been said. And, and it actually is a quotation from Psalm 118. And what it, it says is that this one, Jesus, the Messiah, as they're talking about him, that he was the stone that was rejected but eventually became the chief cornerstone. And the prophet was saying that this one is going to be rejected by his own and be cast aside as though of no use. A picture of the fact that this one who's the Messiah, this one who's coming, who's going to be that stone, who's going to be the cornerstone, is going to be cast out and, and even put to death or put away as though insignificant. But God was going to do something different where they consider him of no importance, he will become the chief cornerstone. And we know that that's true. And we know that Jesus uh, said to Peter that I am the stone, I'm the stone upon which the church is built. And Peter later says in his passage that he is that chief cornerstone, that everything else is built. And Jesus in the prophecy revealed that he was going to be one who'd be rejected, but still would be that chief cornerstone. There were other prophetic passages like Psalm 22 when it describes the death of that one who would be the Messiah, but that that Messiah yet would have life. And when Jesus was teaching, he taught the word of God, the Old Testament prophecies to his men. And that would have revealed to them that he was the Messiah and that that Messiah would live, would die, be mistreated and would eventually have life and that other people would be drawn unto him. So. When you look in the Word of God, you'll find many, many different places where prophetically it tells that this Messiah, this one Jesus, is going to live, he's going to minister, he's going to die, he's going to be buried, and he will be resurrected. So, prophetically we see that it has been taught and it has been revealed to these 12 men that there was going to be a resurrection. But there's something else. It wasn't just taught prophetically. They were also taught parabolically. In other words, they were taught by parables. You remember as you think about the Word of God and as you study the Word of God, that parables were a favorite teaching tool of Jesus. He was the parable teacher, the theme teacher. And so all throughout his ministry to them in those three years, he used different parables to help them to see different truths and especially about his death, burial, and resurrection. I'm going to give you some examples of that, and then we're going to put that scripture up on the screen for you so that you can write that down and go look at it at a, at a later time. But let me just give you a few of those examples with the references. The first example that I would give to you is when Jesus, in John chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, when he is coming out of the temple and they're looking for a sign. They're wanting to have a sign. 
And Jesus says, this is the sign that this temple can be destroyed and I will raise it up in three days. Now, the people did not understand what he meant because he was speaking in a parable. They said it took 46 years to build this temple and you're going to build it in three days. Jesus wasn't talking about that temple that Herod had built. He wasn't talking about that place on Temple Mount where they would go to and offer sacrifices. What Jesus referred to and what it says there in that passage in John, he was referring to his body. And what did Jesus say? That this temple, his body, that it would be torn down. It would be put to death. He would die. But in three days, it would be raised up. In three days, there would be the resurrection. So eventually, whenever the resurrection happens and when the disciples go back and think about what Jesus was saying about the temple, they understood that in that parable form, he had described to them that he was going to die and in three days, he was going to be resurrected. There's a second, though, parable that he teaches. It's found in John chapter 12, verse 24. John 12, 24. And it's the parable of the grain of wheat. You remember what he says in the grain about the grain of wheat? He says that the grain of wheat, if it is left, if it is left not planted and not broken, it will remain as one. But when the grain of wheat is placed in the ground and it is broken, then it multiplies and it has much fruit. What Jesus was describing at that point in time was that his body, his life was going to be broken. He was going to be killed. He was going to be scourged. He was going to be abused. He was going to hang on a tree. And that his body would be placed in the ground, in that tomb. And that because of that death and his brokenness and him being in that tomb, he would come forth in a resurrected state and that his fruit would multiply. And that all of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, all of us who've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, all of us who've been redeemed and call ourselves Christians, we are the fruit of the Lord Jesus as that grain was broken and multiplied the fruit. Once again, it's a parable that he is talking and telling them about his death, burial, and resurrection. There's another one, though, probably one that you'd be familiar with. It's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 14 through 18. And this is where Jesus talks about that he is the good shepherd. That whole passage in John 10 is about Jesus being the shepherd. And when he says that he is the good shepherd, he describes himself this way. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep who lays down his life for sheep. He goes on to say, he said, I'm not like a hireling. I'm not like one that whenever the wolf would come or when the danger come, that they would leave the sheep and, and that they'd be the prey of the enemy. But he says, no, I'm the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd who is going to lay down my life for the sheep. But that's not all he says. He says, I'm going to lay down my life. And he says, no one will take it from me. I lay my life down. But he goes on beyond that. No one will take my life from me. I lay it down. And as I lay it down, I will raise it up. That it will be raised up. The Father will raise me up. That I have that privilege. I have a, I'm the good shepherd who's going to die, but I'm not going to stay dead. I will be raised up and the Father will raise me up. That illustration of the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. 
Also, you find in Luke chapter 11, verse 29, once again, the Jews were always looking for a sign. And they asked Jesus, give us a sign. Share with us a sign. What will be the sign? And Jesus stops them and says, this will be the only sign you have. It is the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah. Well, what was the sign of Jonah? They all knew the sign of Jonah. They all knew the story of that prophet Jonah who had gone and been in the belly of that fish because of his disobedience and stayed in the belly of the fish three days until he was vomited back out and went and did what he was supposed to to do and obedient to God. It was three days that he was in the belly of the fish and that was the sign of Jonah, those three days. What was Jesus saying? That the Son of Man, the Son of God, that he was going to be dead. He would be in the belly of the earth. He is going to be in that grave for three days, but he would come forth after those three days for life, life everlasting. The sign of Jonah. But that's not all. You would be familiar also with the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. It's recorded in Mark chapter 14, verses 22 and following. Remember, that was the Passover experience, the Passover supper. And the Lord transformed the Passover meal into the Last Supper or His Supper. And at that particular supper, He he takes the elements. And we, we do this at the Lord's Supper today. He takes and He blessed and broke the bread. And He said to them, This is my body that is broken for you. This is my body broken for you that will be given to you. Then he takes the cup and he says, and this is my blood that will be shed for you. He takes both of those elements, he transforms them. And then as he goes on, he reveals to them that he is going to die. He is going to lay down his life, but that he is not going to stay dead, but he will come again. And that he will fellowship with them again. He will fellowship with them in the kingdom. So he takes that parable, that story, that those elements of the Passover, making it the Lord's Supper, and teaches once again to them that they are going to experience his death, but also to be able to see and understand his resurrection. So we've seen prophetically that they heard and knew that Jesus would die, be buried, and be resurrected. We see parabolically through those parables that Jesus tells them that through these stories that he is going to die, be buried, and, and be resurrected. But maybe we could give them, maybe we could give them an excuse. Maybe we'd say, well, you know, sometimes prophecy is hard to understand, and, and, and sometimes parables are hard to grasp. Maybe they have an excuse because that's two of the ways that It was made known to them about his resurrection. But if that's what you're thinking, could we move on to the third point? (laughs) The third point is this, that not only did they know prophetically and not only did they know parabolically, but they knew pointedly. (laughs) Pointedly, what do I mean by that? They were told directly, directly by Jesus that he was going to have to die, suffer, and that he was going to be resurrected. And, and we find that in the Word of God. We find that pointedly. It, it's found there in that passage that I had you to turn to in Mark chapter 10, verse 32. I want you to hear what Jesus says to these 12 disciples 
these men who are walking with him, no longer is it going to be prophetic. No longer is it going to be by a story or a hidden meaning. Listen to what he says in Mark chapter 2, verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what, he was, what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, and spit on him, and scourge him, and kill him. Listen now. And three days later, he will rise again. Three days later, he will rise again. You can't be more pointed than that. It can't be more clear than that. So how is it that, that they missed him telling them directly what he is going to do. Well, if you'll continue on and read the rest of that story, do you know what it, it tells us in this account as well as in the other gospel accounts? It tells us that they must have not have been listening very carefully because they were thinking about and discussing things that weren't nearly as important. Do you know what they were discussing? They were discussing who among them was the greatest in the kingdom. Who among them was the greatest? Who, who was going to get to sit by Jesus' right hand or his left hand? In this particular account here in Mark, it's where John and James had their mom to come and, and to ask about letting her sons be the ones who would sit on the left hand, right hand side. But what it tells us in every account is that they were busy thinking about who's the greatest rather than listening to what he says directly to them. And that is this, that I, we are going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be in the hands of the Pharisees and scribes. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. But three days later, I will be resurrected. Very clear, no hidden language, no prophecy to interpret. He tells them directly. But that's not all. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 21 is what I focus on. But Matthew 16 is where there was this great confession at Caesarea Philippi. You remember that? Peter was, Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're the prophet. Some say this or that. But he said, but who do you say that I am? And that's where Peter gives that glorious confession. says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus goes on to say, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. He goes on and gives that glorious promise about the church being built upon the rock that cornerstone, that rock that is Jesus, and that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But then comes verse 21. And it says, From that time Jesus Christ began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and raised up, listen, raised up on the third day. How much more plain could that be? It was very plain to Peter what he was saying because Peter then gets Jesus and pulls him aside and says, Lord, that's not going to happen to you. I, I'll give my life for you. That's not going to happen to you when I'm around. And Jesus has to rebuke him and say, you're putting your interest on the interest of men rather than the 
interest of, of God. And he rebukes Peter because he's trying to interfere with the plan of God. It could not be more plain than there at Caesarea Philippi where he says he's going to suffer, he's going to die, but three days later. You don't have to wonder when it's going to be. Three days later, he would be resurrected. Well, I want to give you another one, and that's found in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. This happens to be whenever Jesus takes his inner circle. Remember he had an inner circle. That inner circle was was Peter, James, and John. They were the ones who were closest to Jesus, and they're the ones who were invited by Jesus. I like to go into Jairus' daughters. Whenever he raised up Jairus' daughter, he, he, he took them into the house with him. And, and whenever he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he lets them go deeper into the Garden with him. And the other thing was at the Mount of Transfiguration. At the Mount of Transfiguration, these three, those three disciples, have a special tutoring session. That's what I call it. I, I mean... They have the opportunity to see and experience what the other nine didn't have the opportunity to see and experience. And it's on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember what happened there? Jesus was transfigured, but there were two people who met him there. Those two people were Moses and Elijah. Now, you remember the significance of them. Moses was the lawgiver and Elijah was the prophet. So when it talks about the law and the prophets, which is the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, it's symbolized by those two men. And it says that those two men come and they come to meet with Jesus. And why did they come meet with Jesus? They came to meet for this reason. That's what it says. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Do you hear what was happening? There was a conversation going on. And what was the conversation about? was about Jesus' departure from this world that was going to happen in Jerusalem. In other words, they're talking about the events that are about to take place regarding Jesus, His trial, His crucifixion, and His resurrection. And who has the opportunity to be there, to hear that, to experience that? Peter, James, and John. And and they're, they, once again, they, they don't do exactly what you would expect those disciples to do. It says, at one point, it says that his companions, in verse 32, they were overcome by sleep. Leave it to Peter, James, and John to sleep when the transfiguration is happening. Not only that, whenever Peter finally wakes up and sees what's happening, he tells the Lord, Lord, let's build some, temp- let's build some tabernacles here and some place to live in, and let's just stay here. Peter was interested in staying when Jesus later tells him that he should be interested in going because there's a world to be ministered to. So here are those three disciples having this experience with, with Jesus and having the opportunity of, of seeing Moses and Elijah and listening to that conversation that's going to happen. And, and it's all about what's about to take place. They're there listening. Well, what was, what was the conversation about? What all did it cover? If you want to know that, you need to turn over to Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, the Gospel of Mark, his account of the Mount of Transfiguration, he tells us something that really grabs hold of your heart and helps you to know that they knew specifically and heard specifically in that instruction what was going to happen. Listen to what it says in, in, uh, in cha- verse 10 of chapter 9 of Mark. Listen to what it says about their discussion. Talking about they, this is Peter, James, and John. They seized upon that statement that they had heard spoken by 
Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, they seized upon that statement, listen, discussing with one another what rising from the dead might mean. Did you hear that? (laughs) They're walking down off the Mount of Transfiguration and they're discussing among each other. Whenever they were talking about the rising from the dead, what what did that mean? What What does that have to do with? They have the opportunity of being in on this intimate conversation and they hear directly that he's going to die, but he's going to be resurrected. And they come off of that mountain discussing, discussing the fact that it's something about rising again. One other passage of scripture that I'd have you turn to is John, the gospel of John chapter 16. These are just moments before Jesus is going to be arrested and he's going to be carried to that trial and ultimately to his crucifixion. But Jesus was giving the words to his disciples and encouraging them along the way. And this is what he says in regard to that, about that night of his betrayal. He says, I tell, in verse, I'm sorry, it's in chapter 16, verses 16 through 22. He tells them that I will not be with you. I am leaving hours coming when I will leave you and you will leave me and I will be alone and you will not see me and you will not know me, but then you will see me again. Then you will know me again. Now, what's he talking about? Once again, he's telling them there's coming this time. Well, it's just moments away. Whenever they're going to take me and you're going to scatter and you're not going to be with me, and, you're not going to, and, I, and I'm going to die alone. And, and you're going to be sorrowful in your heart. You're going to grieve in your spirit because of that. But he said, that's okay, because you're going to have a new joy, because I will come back to life, and I will come to you again. I will be alive again. So just before he is about to be tried and crucified, the last things he's teaching his disciples, once again, he's teaching them, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, but I am going to be alive again. You see that pointedly, without, without any question, Jesus told them, and they were told over and over and over again, that there was going to be the resurrection on the third day. So here's my question. If prophetically, parabolically, and pointedly, they've heard over and over again in different situations that he's going to suffer, die, and be resurrected, then why wouldn't they be there? Why wouldn't they be sitting there waiting on that Sunday morning, that first day of the week, for Jesus to come back to life? Well, it's a good question, the why. But I believe that the Word of God reveals to us why. And, and it's, I, I want to show you that. I want you to grab hold of that so that you'll understand the significance of it. It's the fact that even though this was said to them in so many different forms and ways and, and very clearly, they just did not understand. They could not understand. They didn't have the ability to understand. Let, let me show you that. Turn in your Bibles to John, Gospel of John, chapter 20. The Gospel of John, chapter 20, and I want us to read, beginning in verse 9 and 10. In verse 9 and 10. I want to scoot up a little above that, verse 8. Then entered in, therefore, the other disciple. This is at the tomb, whenever Mary has come and told them that 
that the tomb's empty. And, and Peter and, and, and John run to the tomb. Then they entered, therefore, the other disciple also who had come to the tomb, and he saw and believed. Believe what? That the tomb was empty. <laughs> she said, it's empty. They go and they find out it's empty. But listen to the next verse, verse 9. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. Did you hear that? They did not yet understand the scripture that he was to rise again, even after he's been resurrected, even though the tomb is empty, even though they go and testify, there's no one there. They still do not understand the scripture that he has to rise again, so they go home. But eventually, Jesus will come to be among them in that same chapter. And when Jesus comes to be among them, it says this in verse 20. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Now listen now. Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. In that moment, he gives to them the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Not like they're going to get at Pentecost, but he, he gives to them the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Because why? Because the Holy Spirit of God is the one who's going to help them to understand. The Holy Spirit of God is going to be the one who puts the puzzle together and puts all those pieces together so they can grasp and understand what has really taken place. See, they didn't have a chance, even though the Lord Jesus himself was walking with them, teaching them, they had all those experiences, they have a chance to understand because the Holy Spirit of God was not in their heart, not in their life at that time. Let me show you another passage of Scripture. It's found in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 and verse 45. Luke 24 and 45. Listen to what it says about this. S similar experience. It says, Talking about Jesus, he asked him, he said, do y'all have anything to eat? Verse 41, they gave him a piece of, of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their sight. And he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things which are written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Did you hear what he just said? He said, I, I told you about this. I spoke to you about this about all the things written about me prophetically in the law, the Moses, the prophets, and even the Psalms. We talked about one of those Psalms, remember? He, he said, this is all being fulfilled. Listen to verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, listen now, and rise again from the dead on the third day. Now they can understand. Now they 
have the understanding of the prophecies and the law and the psalm. Now they can see what had been said to them, but it is after the resurrection when Jesus gives them understanding, when the Holy Spirit of God comes and testifies to them that which has already happened, that which had already been proclaimed, but that which has already happened, that he would suffer, but he would rise again from the dead on the third day. It has totally to do with the work of the Spirit of God. See, the Holy Spirit of God, whenever He came into their heart and He came into their life, and when it was after their, their uh, lives had been saved because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and now their lives had been made clean, the Holy Spirit of God came into their heart, and they now can understand. It tells us something else back in that passage in John 16. It tells us the work of the Holy Spirit. He said, this is what the Holy Spirit's going to do when He comes. And, and now it's being fulfilled after the resurrection. He says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, talking to His disciples. For I go, if I do not go away, the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And He, when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Remember, this is for the cross. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his, on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. He said, it's to your advantage the Holy Spirit comes. Talking to those disciples before he ever dies and is resurrected. It's to your advantage the Holy Spirit comes because the Holy Spirit's going to convict the sin of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's going to convict the world, but He's going to lead you into all truth and help you understand all Scripture. And you are going to have an aha experience of knowing what all these things really mean. And that's exactly what took place. When the Holy Spirit of God came, when the Holy Spirit of God entered into their heart and life, now for the first time, they understood. For the first time, they realized that they had missed out on the resurrection. For the first time, they were able to put all the pieces of the puzzle, prophetically, parabolically, pointedly, all those pieces of the puzzle together, and to say, this is what Jesus said, this is what Jesus did. And now they can go and proclaim it to the world that He is a suffering servant who died, but He was a living Lord who was resurrected. It was the work of the Holy Spirit of God. So the question is, how or why did they miss the resurrection? Because the Holy Spirit of God was not living in their heart, living in their life, giving them understanding where they could grasp. If He had been there working in their life, they would have been there at the resurrection. But He wasn't there. For it took the work of the Holy Spirit for them to finally, ultimately understand. Now remember those three questions that I said that we need to ask about our day and time, not historically about those disciples. We, we've kind of answered the question of why, why they weren't at that resurrection, why they weren't sitting at the garden tomb because the Holy Spirit was not there. But we also asked three other questions about today. One of those is, 
Why is it a person could hear the gospel over and over and over again, and yet they not surrender their life to Christ? It's because it's the work of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit has to open up a heart and open up the mind of people that they would understand that what is said about Jesus is true. It is no myth. It's reality. It's true. It's what's happened. And it was done for them. And when the Holy Spirit of God comes into a person's heart and life, it opens up the Scripture. It opens up Jesus. And they understand that He is the resurrected Lord. If you know Jesus today, it's because the Holy Spirit of God brought into your heart and your mind remembrance and brought into your heart and your mind the anointing and helped you to know that what this has been said is true. So friend, today, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you need to ask the Holy Spirit of God. Spirit of God, reveal to me what Scripture says. Reveal to me who Jesus is. For I want to be a believer and I want to accept Him as Lord and Savior in my life. And I promise when the Spirit of God comes to work in your heart and in your life, you'll understand it clearly. As Peter couldn't understand before, before the resurrection and before the Pentecost, day of Pentecost, when he preaches on the day of Pentecost, he, he clearly clearly proclaims that He is the one who suffered, who died, and who's resurrected. What about us believers? What about us in our lives that, that we would be able to come to church and, and we'd be under messages and under, in Sunday school class and hear the Word of God over and over again, but, but we don't seem to experience that power, that anointing in our life and, and to walk in the will and way of God. We, we struggle every day. Why would that be? Because it's the work of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is going, to, is going to be the one who makes the resurrected Christ real to you. He's going to be the one who makes your experience as a Christian real to you. It's the work of the Spirit of God. So, believer, if you're not walking the way you ought to walk and you're just checking the box and you're just attending and you don't have the, the zeal for the Lord, you need to say, Spirit of God, bring to me the truth and reality. Help me to see the Word of God is true. Help me to understand who Jesus is and all that Jesus has done that I might have an energy and a, a heart for Almighty God. And what about for those believers who study the Word of God over and over again and they know about the power of God and the promises of God, but they struggle to have the peace of God and they struggle to have the joy of the Lord. How do you have that? Well, it's the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And you just simply need to say, if you don't have that peace today, if you don't have that joy in your heart today, if you're struggling today, and you wonder why, claim the promises of God, but let the Holy Spirit of God bring that to a reality in your life. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. We are so blessed. For see, we're not like those apostles and disciples who walked with Jesus, as wonderful as that was. But they walked with Him before the Spirit of God gave them understanding. Jesus said it's to our advantage and to their advantage that He would go and the Holy Spirit would come. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, now Jesus lives within me. And He gives me understanding and purpose and meaning in my life. And I have the opportunity of seeing the tapestry from the front side, not the back, back side. I have the opportunity of seeing how the, all the, the pieces fit together in that puzzle and to realize that Jesus is who Jesus says He is and that He is the fulfillment of all that was said prophetically, parabolically, and outright, that He is the one who suffered, died, and was resurrected. What a glorious thing it is for us on this Easter to be able to celebrate that resurrection. He is a living Lord Savior. He's the living Lord Jesus. Friend, if you've never given your heart to Christ, would you ask the Holy Spirit today to bring it to reality to you, that you understand it? Child of God, 
Would you ask God to energize you, give you peace in your heart, minister to your life? Let the Holy Spirit work within you. Just as He brought meaning and understanding to them, He can bring it to you. Would you ask that of God today? Would you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do that today? Right there where you are, in your home, the Spirit of God is there, working, moving, and listening for you to pray. So would you pray with me now? Father, I thank You for the truth of the Word of God. And I thank You for the power of the Holy Spirit. And I thank You that He is the one who gave meaning and purpose and understanding to those disciples after the resurrection, whenever they finally understand all that Jesus said. And He gives us meaning and understanding today. I pray for that person who doesn't know Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation. I pray for that believer who struggles, that today would be the day of revelation. And I pray, Lord, that each of us would be pleasing to You and that we'd allow the Holy Spirit who's here, our helper, do His mighty work in our lives. Give us patience. Give us peace as we journey. Thank you for this Resurrection Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.